want to give a warm welcome to our worldwide audience. The people in South Africa, Swaziland, the people especially in the Middle East, in Cairo and Saudi Arabia and Syria, Jordan and Iraq. Also, my countrymen back in uh, Australia and uh, my wonderful friends in Russia and uh, Ukraine. Of course, not forgetting our marvelous supporters in North America, the United States and Canada. And we must not forget also our friends in Latin America and the Caribbean. March 23, 1989. Does it ring a bell? March 23, 1989. Does it ring a bell? No one saw it coming. An asteroid traveling at 72,000 miles an hour whizzed past planet Earth and missed us by six hours. Astronomers maintain that it weighed a billion tons made of stardust. It's been going around the universe, astronomers say, for five billion years. And it missed planet Earth by six hours. If it had struck the United States, there would have been no United States. It had the combined force of 20,000 hydrogen bombs. It would have wiped out any part of the planet, any continent. Nobody knew about it until after it happened. Traveling for five billion years, they say, missed us by 360 minutes. I just wonder, was someone sending us a message? January 25, 1995. Does that ring a bell? January 25, 1995. Russian military technicians were watching on their radar screens and they saw an American missile that had been launched in Norway, heading straight towards Moscow. Within 15 minutes, it would wipe out the capital of Russia, they thought. They were well aware of the fact that such a missile would have eight nuclear bombs. It would completely devastate that part of Russia. For the first time in history, you never heard about it, did you? For the first time in history, the Russian computer containing the launch codes were opened. 
the Russian president had three minutes to make up his mind whether to launch the missiles and wipe out North America. But then at the last minute, as he sat watching the radar screens with his general standing around him, the missile veered to one side and they realized it was simply a scientific missile. And when they went and looked in their archives, the Americans had told them. Yet for the first time in history, the computer with the secret codes was opened and they had three minutes to make a decision. If the Russians on that occasion had launched missiles towards the United States of America, the American president would have had three minutes to respond. We wouldn't be here today. In fact, the earth wouldn't be here today. I just wonder, is someone trying to send us a message? My topic today is five minutes to midnight. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25, and verse 1 and onwards. And those of you who've been coming to my meetings the last, this last week will remember I've been talking on the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew chapter 25 and verses 1 and onwards in the Holy Scriptures. Matthew 25, this is a Bible-reading, Bible-believing church. Matthew 25, verse 1 and onwards. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and uh, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I'm going to suggest to you today that it's not midnight in the history of the world. It's not midnight. But I'm going to suggest to you 
That is five minutes to midnight. I want you to think of the principal elements in this story that our blessed Lord told us. Firstly, there is the bridegroom. He is the star. The bridegroom represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will come again. So number one, the bridegroom is Jesus. The virgins, the virgins represent the church. The church that's waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. They all look the same. And the Bible tells us that some are wise and some are foolish. And so in the church of the living God, you've got wise people and you've got foolish people. You have the lamps and the oil. You have the state of somnolence that falls upon them. The midnight cry. Then there is the party. And finally, there is the locked door. So the bridegroom is Christ. The virgins, the church. The lamp and the oil. The lamp must be the word of God and the oil represents the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in the life. This is very important. The oil. You can't go for long without the oil. Everybody in the parable has got oil. But half of the people at least, even though they had oil, in the time of the crisis, discover that they've run out of oil. They started well, but they fizzed. Then the state of somnolence. A state of somnolence or sleeping also means a lack of consciousness. It is interesting in the parable that everybody in the church is asleep. Even the good people are sleeping as well as the foolish people. And when a person is sleeping, he's unaware of what is going on around him. This would explain why many commentators in the world who don't even belong to the church know more about the signs of the times than the church people. Because the church people are in a state of somnolence. Then there is the midnight cry. The bridegroom is here. It's very significant that in the story, when the bridegroom is here, it's too late to buy the oil. If you want to get the oil, get the oil at least at five minutes to midnight, not at midnight. Because at midnight, there's nobody selling oil. And so when Christ comes, it is too late to get salvation. And then there is the party. Jesus was a party goer. That's why he was attacked by the Pharisees and Jesus used the concept of a party to illustrate the gospel. 
Because the kingdom of God is not doom and gloom. The kingdom of God is light and joy and happiness and rejoicing, you see. And so the party represents the great time the people of God are going to have when Jesus comes. And then there is the locked door that speaks of finality and certainty because when the door is locked at the second coming, you can't open that door. If you're in, you're in, and if you're out, you're out, and nothing will change that set of circumstances. Now, the theme of this presentation is this. It is not yet midnight, but I would suggest to you on the evidence of Bible prophecy, it is five minutes to midnight. And so my topic is five minutes to midnight. I want you to consider some evidence from Bible prophecy. Firstly, the rise of global terrorism. The first great sign that the bridegroom is coming is the rise of global terrorism. Would you please take the Bible and turn to Luke 21 to the prophecy from our own Lord, Jesus Christ. Luke 21 and verse 10 and 11 in the scriptures. Luke 21, verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Verse 25 and onwards. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The Bible says that just before the return of Christ, there will be a reign of terror such as the world has never, never seen before. I want you to think today of the mindset of the terrorist. The terrorist is intensely religious. The terrorist believes that in destroying human life and buildings and airplanes and everything else that he is doing the will of God. He is intensely religious. He believes in the immortality of the soul. And he believes that if he dies fighting for his cause of the one true God, he goes instantly into the presence of God. That belief is not only held by the terrorists, it is held by most Christians. 
It is based on the devil's lie that says that the soul cannot die, whereas the Bible teaches when a person dies, he sleeps unconscious until the resurrection. And so the fuel for the fire of terrorism is the doctrine of the immortality of the soul that most Christians believe. Osama bin Laden, who has changed the world forever, said, the difference between us and you is this, that you love life, but we love death. The terrorist believes that he represents the one true religion in the world. And the terrorist has a missionary spirit that makes Christians insipid by contrast. He believes. His mind is obsessed with thoughts of injustice. And some of this thinking of injustice is justified. Young men who have been misused by their governments and by others brood with thoughts of injustice, revenge, hatred to the West. And of course, it is fueled by an age-old conflict, the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs, now with Christian involvement. And we think in our smug arrogance that we can solve a problem that has gone on for three and a half thousand years. It is the age-old problem that goes back to the sons of Abraham. And so we have today the rise of global terrorism. I want you to come to an amazing text and give a quick interpretation of the passage. Revelation 9, verses 1 to 6. Not an exposition, but Revelation 9, verses 1 to 6. Revelation 9, 1 to 6. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, the bottomless pit. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it stings a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Many great scholars today in our church believe that these verses talk about the earth becoming infested with demons. The bottomless pit is opened up in this symbolic language. And from the bottomless pit comes the demons of hell. 
The Bible teaches that before Jesus comes, the whole earth will be filled with men and women who become demon-possessed. It's not midnight. Midnight is going to be a blacker midnight than any person can conceive or understand. I will tell you that. I want to remind all of you this, that this is a war that no earthly army can win. Mark my words. It is a war against evil satanic forces. Only one person is going to put down the demons. And that is the bridegroom. You can see why I am not involved in politics. You can see why I do not support, why I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or any political persuasion. I find it almost inconceivable to understand how Christians who believe that Christ is the Savior can spend so much of their time involved in politics when politics are not the answer to the problem. The only answer to the world's problem is the coming of the bridegroom. And if you are a believer, you will believe that. Our hope is not in tanks or in missiles or in bombs or boots on the ground. Our hope is in the bridegroom. And it is now five minutes to midnight. It will get worse. Evidence from Bible prophecy continues. Point number two, the last superpower. Revelation 13 and verse 11. I will speak more about this next week. Revelation 13 verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. We have believed and I have preached, but the church has believed for well over a century, well over, that the power that comes up out of the earth like a lamb represents Protestant America, which for many, many years has been a refuge for the victims of religious and political intolerance. I spoke to a scientist a few days ago and explained the prophecy to him. He said, will there be another power that'll take the place of the United States? Maybe China. I said to him, no. Bible prophecy says America becomes the last superpower and remains the last superpower. Fifteen years ago, I could not have said this to you because Russia was a prime contender for the role. But now America stands alone and supreme. The last great superpower preparing for her last work. Therefore, 
It is five minutes to midnight. Prophecy number three. Weapons of mass destruction. Come to Revelation 11, 15 and onwards. And Revelation chapter 11, 15 and onwards. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. We have a new chilling scenario. Once there were the United States, Great Britain, France, and then more recently, China. But now we have North Korea. Iran with the capabilities, India and Pakistan, and Israel that has 200 hydrogen bombs ready to go in the Middle East. The genie is out of the bottle. It is five minutes to midnight. Sign number four, global Warning, not warming, warning. Notice Luke 21, verse 11. Luke 21 and verse 11. Luke 21, verse 11, Jesus said, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. I want you to notice this recent, very recent copy of the National Geographic that does not use scaremongering techniques. The National Geographic Global Warning Bulletins from a Warmer World. I want to read to you what they're saying. Most of these folks, not even Christians. You can see how the church is asleep. The great preachers of today are, by and large, are not those who occupy the pulpits because they're sleeping. But scientists are sending us the message, signs from earth. 
Carbon dioxide levels rise, mercury climbs, oceans warm, glaciers melt, sea level rises, sea ice thins, permafrost thaws, wildfires increase, lakes shrink, lakes freeze up, later ice shelves collapse, droughts linger, precipitation increases, mountain streams run dry, winter loses its bite, spring arrives earlier, autumn comes later, it goes on and on and on. Diseases spread. Signs from planet Earth, heating up, melting down, things that normally happen in geologic time are happening during the span of a human lifetime. And the virgins sleep on. The hottest days in the history of the world, they think at least in recent times, the hottest years have been the last five years the old earth in the terms of the Bible is waxing old like a garment. And the earth is saying something tremendous is about to happen. Global warning. Five minutes to midnight. Shall we proceed with the signs of the times? It makes me think, you know, of the story, apocryphal or not, of Nero who played his fiddle while Rome was burning. Today, it seems to me that most of us are playing our fiddle, fiddling around while the world is burning. Five minutes to midnight. I come now to sign number five. Society sympathizes with Sodom. A very touchy subject that's like a hot potato. Whatever happened to Christian courage? Society sympathizes with Sodom. Please notice Genesis 19, 1 to 5. Genesis 19, verses 1 to 5. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they said, we will spend the night in the square. Of course, they were testing him. So he goes inside, he's settling, the angels are settling down for the night. And verse 10, but the men in, uh, let me see, no, 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 verse 4, before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Verse 10 and 11, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door, house, door of the house, young and old with blindness, 
so they could not find the door. If you read the story of Sodom, it is a story that is shocking because it describes a whole society that had given itself over, or much of the society, had given itself over to the practice of homosexual acts. Now let me make this very, very plain to everybody. God loves homosexuals. Jesus died for homosexuals. And I believe that many Christians have shown a dreadful attitude towards homosexuals. Self-righteous. God loves homosexuals, and homosexuals are welcome in this church. But let me make it ever so plain to you, the word of God is strongly opposed to homosexual activity. The Bible calls homosexual acts an abomination to the Lord. And that is the word of Scripture. Please notice Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Today, society is being brainwashed by the people of Hollywood and even by some ministers who teach that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle. I'm here to tell you the Bible calls it a perversion. And you and I should not be afraid to say what we believe. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in freedom of speech for the homosexual and I believe in freedom of speech for the preacher who believes the Bible. So that's where I stand. Now today we have the unnatural practice of same-sex marriages. No wonder the rest of the world says, what are these Americans like? Have you ever thought of what much of the world thinks about this? Go to Russia, ask them. Same-sex marriages are against the word of God. The Bible teaches that a marriage is between a man and a woman and George Bush on this point has certainly got it right. But today society is moving towards the area of condoning homosexuality. Let me say it again, God loves homosexuals. But homosexual activity is opposed to the holy word of God. And that is why God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the word of God. Are there any amens? Yes. 
Sign number six. The gospel to the world. Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I don't talk as a person who is an armchair theologian. I don't talk as a church administrator who sits behind a desk. I talk as one who has seen the fulfillment of this prophecy. Very shortly, Beverly and I and Daniel, Daniel Burgers, are setting out on a great pastoral trip to visit the people we have baptized in the lands of the former Soviet Union. Moscow, great combined meeting. Nizhny Novgorod, spend the weekend there for their Christmas. Meetings every night. On to St. Petersburg. Then down to Ukraine, by the grace of God, Kiev. Great combined meeting. Glory be to God, we baptized three and a half thousand people in one campaign in Kiev. Helped to build there that magnificent church for the glory of God. Then across to Nepropetrovsk, and then to Kharkov, and to Zaporozhye, the home of the Cossacks. Then down to Odessa not forgetting the most polluted city in the former Soviet Union, Dzinsk, which of course is back in Russia. So nine great cities. And in those great cities, we saw the mighty power of God and we saw millions of people come to the meetings and hundreds of thousands turn to God. And I personally witnessed the baptism of more than 15,000 atheists, communists, non-believers. I can't understand how a man could ever wish just to be sitting in an office. Can you understand it? I'm just amazed how a person would want to be a minister and sit in an office. No minister was ever called to sit in an office. A minister was called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And let me say this to my ministerial colleagues who may still be watching, if you're not going into the world and preach the gospel, you're not a minister. You're a make-believe. Jesus said he ordained 12 that they might be with him that he might send them forth to preach. The only reason we're ordained is to preach the gospel, not to be accountants, not even to be administrators, but to preach the gospel. People say, that's a radical idea. It is. I got it from Jesus. I got it from Jesus. It's five minutes to midnight. Five minutes to midnight. And here's another great sign, a sleeping church. A sleeping church. 
The Bible says they all went to sleep. The wise and the foolish, sleeping all. Why we ask, we sometimes are nonplussed and we say, why is the church so indifferent? Why is the church almost opposed to evangelism? And, and we're sort of nonplussed. My friend, it's because the church is sleeping. Why is it that the church spends so much money on a bureaucracy and so little money on evangelism? It's because people who suffer from the sickness of sleepiness are unaware of what really matters. Now, Jesus said they all fell asleep. So that includes all of us. Therefore, I say to you, it is five minutes to midnight. It's not midnight, but it's five minutes to midnight. Now, I want to tell my supporters, and I've got lots of them, glory be to God, or else I don't think I would have survived. <laughs> I want to say to my supporters, you've heard that I'm retiring. Oh, you've only heard half. <laughs> I was down at the conference office the other day. They seemed so glad to see me <laughs> when I was down there signing the retirement papers. I've never been received with so much joy and so much love. They said, you're retiring. I said, yes, from you. <laughs> but I planned by the grace of God to keep on and on while I live. Now, let me tell you some more. A couple of the office staff came by to congratulate me on my speedy retirement. They said to me, we hear you'll be retiring. I said, how do you like it here? Would you like a job? We're expanding. I said, what do you mean? You're... Oh, I said, we're expanding. I'm retiring from working for you so I can work full time for God. So that's how it is. So I want to say to my beloved supporters, it's like this. Mark Twain was, they published something in the newspaper saying he was dead. A reporter saw him later and said, can you comment on this? He said, reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. <laughs> so we plan to do more evangelism, more preaching, more teaching, by the grace of God, HMS Richards, whom I loved, an evangelist, a real preacher, a saint of God, a firebrand in the hand of God and a thorn in the side of the brethren. He said there are two things that a minister can't do. He can't tell lies and he can't retire. And I don't plan to start now. So continue to support the Carter Report as we go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I, I know that my preaching is loved by some and hated by some too. I know that. I've had them say to me, 
say about me, oh, but he's too independent. We can't get a handle on him. Oh, dear, dear. <laughs> you know what they, what, what they said about Paul? Fierce, independent, loyal. You know what we say in Australia? There are three sexes, men, women, and clergymen. I don't want to be a clergyman. I want to be a man of God. Yeah. With a great church. So people, some folks came up to Beverly and said, where are you moving to? I said, moving? Well, I'll be moving. I hope I'll be moving because if I stop moving, I'll be dead. We plan to stay here. And we plan to continue to preach in this church next year and make television programs so the work goes on. So here's a message to the people whom I love so much. I'll still be here, my friends, talking to my friends in Glendale. I'll still be here by the grace of God, maybe when you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Now listen, now let me say something else. I talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. I know I'm going to get letters from people saying, how dare you say this? I'll get abusive letters. Listen, I don't care. I would rather care for what God says. I do not want to be part of the apostasy in the world and in the church. I know of churches that condone homosexuality. Well, as the old Irishman said, I'm a it. I always will be. I do not plan to sell my soul for a mess of pottage or a plate of lentils, as it says in the <laughs> Revised Standard. The most important truth is midnight is too late. It's too late at midnight to get the oil. My message from my heart is this, get the oil now. You hear it? Get the oil now. Accept Christ now. Believe the good news now. Accept the invitation to the banquet and the party now. Receive forgiveness now. The time is coming when the people who sell the oil are going to close up shop. In the scriptures, going out buying something is often a symbol of the gospel. The man sells everything he has and he gets the pearl a great price. He buys it. There's a man who finds a field and has got treasure in it. He sells everything he has. He buys it. Now the silly girls in the story left it to too late because the people who sold the oil had closed. You can get the oil today the oil is grace. It is mercy. It is love. It is forgiveness. It is salvation. Don't wait until midnight. 
because the shop will be closed. Get the good oil and get it now. Amen.